Well, have you ever found yourself in a season of life where everywhere you turn, you feel like you just see bad luck? Like, you ever been in a season where just everything that seems to happen seems negative? Courtney and I, we recently walked through one of these last month. Just like everywhere we turned, it seemed like there was bad luck. We we were on our trip, and my my laptop fell and broke, which, by the way, lost the sermon for Sunday. That was a little bit interesting. And then we get home, and Courtney trips and falls and breaks a bone in her foot. And then the next day, our dog needs to go to the doggy ER because he's got pancreatitis. And we looked at each other like, what is going on? Like, how how is all all these things are so unrelated what is happening? And I think we've all been in there, right? We've been in that season where it just seems like over and over again, something happens and you just can't explain it. This week, I read a, about a man named Frano Selec. And Frano grew up in Croatia. Frano has been dubbed the luckiest man in the world because Frano had seven separate brushes with death. And it's unbelievable when you listen to a story. Let me just read a few of these to you. He was in a train wreck that careened into an icy river. He survived. He was in a plane crash. He was sucked out of the door of the plane, but he landed on the little yellow slide, unharmed. He was in a bus accident that went into another icy river. Two times his cars caught fire while he was driving. He was hit by a bus. And finally, he swerved out of the way of an oncoming truck, plunged his car down a 300-foot cliff, and survived. And then, years later, he won a million dollars in the lottery. Like, is this the strength? Could you imagine this guy? This is the craziest thing ever. Now, I'm sure prior to the lottery win, he was going, Lord, what is going on, right? Like, seven different times. But he was in a cycle. And I think we found ourselves in these cycles. And sometimes we literally look at these cycles and go, why? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Yet, there are other times we get into a cycle. We can look back and say, I know exactly what happened. Because there's other times we find ourselves in maybe an ugly cycle in life and we can look back to a situation in our past and we can see that it was a decision we made or it was a a situation, an action that led to that. And I don't know about you guys, but I know in my life when I found myself in those places, a lot of times I look back and go, you know, if I just wouldn't have done that, you guys ever been there? Like if I, I really wish I wouldn't have said that in that meeting with all my coworkers, I, I should not have gone out with those buddies that night. Like, I should not have made that financial decision. I should not have allowed myself to get pulled into that. And we look back on those situations, and we can see what has led to this ugly cycle. And if you've been in it, if you're like me when you're in it, you often wonder, am I ever going to be able to get out of this? Or is this just going to be my reality for the rest of my life? This morning, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Judges as we continue this new season of our greater story series. And we're going to be in the, in the book of Judges, and we're going to see that we're going, to, we're going to meet a man named Samson. We're going to see Samson fell into a cycle like this. And, and Samson could, could look back at his life, and he could see the decisions he made and how they, they slid him off the road and into this ugly cycle. And I think there's a lot for us to learn through the life of Samson. So grab your Bibles and open up. We'll start in, in Judges chapter 2. But, but I, I think one of the interesting things when I see the life of Samson is, well, Samson reminds me a lot of me. Now, not for the obvious reasons, right? <laughs> not for the raging biceps and the flowing locks of braided hair and, you know, all those things. But Samson reminds me of me because, like Samson, 
I'm my own greatest enemy. Samson, we're going to see it. He, he couldn't point his fingers at anybody else. It, it was his fault that led to what we're going to see. And I think the same goes for me. I, I look at my life, and I, I'd be willing to, to challenge you guys to look at yours. We end up being our own worst enemy. Like, who is the person that is going to get in your way and block you from living out the life that God wants you to live? Well, it's you. It, it's me. It's us. And so we, we have to learn to, to, to navigate that and, and sort of figure it out. The reality is every day when you wake up in the mirror, you look at the greatest threat to what God wants to do through your life. And so I, I think as we, as we figure out and, and navigate the life of Samson, it can teach us so much about how we can learn to break the cycle when we slide into one, because that's an, uh, just a repeating act in, in so many of our lives. And so Samson is going to uh, give us a lot of insights to how we can break the cycle. So let's just jump in here real quick to uh, Samson. Let's look at Judges 13. Let's little, learn a little bit about Samson. Judges chapter 13, we see here. And uh, verse 2, there was a certain man named Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And so the Nazarite was someone who took a vow to God. And usually it was for a certain period of time. You took a vow to God, and you, you said that, God, I'm not going to eat. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm not going to touch anything dead during this period of time. And so God comes to uh, Samson's parents and says, I've got a purpose for your son. I want him to be special for me because I want him to deliver my people from the Philistines. So, so let's back up just a little bit, a little, a little background here. Before Samson was born, Israel had fallen into captivity from the Philistines. And there was this cycle that Israel had fallen himself, had fallen into since Joshua. So if you were with us last week, we saw Joshua lead God's people across the Jordan and into the promised land. And God told Joshua and the Israelites to begin pushing out the Canaanite religion because of its evil practices. And we see that they start to do that, but then they get a little complacent. And rather than pushing out the Canaanite religion, they end up just moving in next door to it. And God warns them, if you do this, it's going to be a snare to your side. It's going to end up biting you in the end, but they don't listen. And so we see that they, they, uh, the, the Canaanites and the Israelites were, were living next to each other, and we see that Joshua dies, and then the elders who lived with Joshua died, and then notice what Judges 2 says. We're going to see that Israel also falls into an ugly cycle. Notice this. Judges 2 verse 10 says this, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, Joshua's generation. They all passed away, and there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What happened? They forgot. Dads forgot to tell their sons. Moms forgot to tell their daughters. Grandparents forgot to tell their grandkids. And so now there arises a new generation of people, of, of God's people, who don't know the stories, who don't have the personal relationship with God, and all of a sudden we see they start to fall into the Canaanite religion. And so they fall into this ugly cycle. And notice what happens in verse 16. It says this, The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and depressed them. It's just another example of God is faithful when we're not. 
And so the Israelites would, would fall into captivity and God would raise up a judge. Now, when I say judge, don't think political figure. Think more like tribal war leader, right? Think, think uh, kind of tribal life. And so Samson was a judge. There's, there's a little bit of debate, but we think pretty, pretty solidly there's 12 judges to the book of Judges. Some say 13, some will say 15, but I think it's 12. And Samson is probably the most famous of them all. God wants to use Samson to rescue Israel. But here was the problem that Israel fell into. Every time a judge would die, peace would exist, and all of a sudden the people would get spiritual amnesia again. Look at verse 19. It says, But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. Going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or, or their stubborn ways. So they just would fall back in. So God would rescue them, and then things would be good, and the next generation would forget, and they would fall back into sin and worshiping these false gods again. This happened for 350 to 450 years, from Joshua to King Saul. And so that, that's kind of the period we're in. And Samson is the last of the 12 judges. But you know what's interesting? When you look at this cycle that Israel found themselves in, it's really the same cycle that we fall into as well. I mean, just, just play it out. Think, think of some, some of those times that you fell into a, a difficult season in your life. Think of those times you fell into a diff- difficult cycle. Typically, it starts because we get spiritual amnesia, and we, we end up kind of slipping. We fall into a sin, or we get distracted, or our eyes get pulled away from God, and what happens? So we begin to experience consequences for sin. But when we experience consequences for sin, we start to, to realize that. The Holy Spirit convicts us if you're a follower of Jesus and you cry out to God, God, rescue me, help me, give me strength, give me wisdom, save me from this. And then God moves. God, God moves in your, in your life and you experience this, this, this kind of relief and this peace and this good season. But if we don't stay remembering what God has done, we get spiritual amnesia again. And so the cycle repeats. And that's what happened to Israel the cycle had repeated over and over again. And here was the, the fear of what we see when we get to Samson is that Israel had gotten comfortable in their captivity. I, I think there's a reality in life, guys, that when we allow sin to, to trickle into our lives and to, to pull us away from God over and over again, it, it begins to harden us more and more and more. And, and there becomes this point where we just get comfortable with sin, that we just get comfortable with a, a lifestyle that's outside of what God's blueprint is for our life, and we end up finding kind of rest in captivity. And that's what happened to Israel. It says here that they had been captive by the Philistines for 40 years. That was the longest that Israel had ever been captive during the period of the judges. And so they got comfortable and they gave up. And I think one of the takeaways we can get from this is that one of the greatest threats to us is elimination by assimilation. Like, God rescued his people. He had a big plan for them, but now they had fallen into comfortable captivity. What about us? God calls us to be different, to be light, and to be salt. But what about when we start to assimilate with culture and the world around us, and we begin to not see sin for what it is? I think we are at the risk of elimination by assimilation, too. And so I think it's something we can pick up from Samson here, like that, that we can't get too comfortable with the world around us, that we need to be different, we need to be distinct. And, and here's the good news is that, that when, when God looks at us, even though it looks like he, we, we, not, we don't see his plan, God has a plan every single time. And God is going to use Samson, enter this roid rage, meathead kind of guy, and he's going to use him 
to advance his plan. But there's a lot that we can learn from Samson's life. So here's the question I want to ask you. How in your life does God stir you up when you start to get comfortable? Like when you start to get comfortable in life and with culture and with sin and with all these other things around you, what is God using in the past? What is God using right now to stir you up to see that his way is better, to break you free from captivity? So God wants to use Samson. One of the questions we have to ask is, how does, can Samson get out of his own way? So look with me. Let's read the story of Samson. Judges chapter 14. We're going to cover a lot of text, so, uh, so hang tight with us here. So Judges chapter 14, let's see how God uses Samson, but let's also see how Samson's choices lead him to an ugly cycle. So starting in 14 verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. So Samson goes down, Samson's grown up, he sees this cute Philistine girl, he goes home, mom, dad, I want to marry this girl, go get her for me. And his mom and dad are like, well, hold on a second. Verse 3, but father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson says to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. So I don't think there's anything racial going on here. I think mom and dad are just saying, hey, why don't you marry somebody of our faith? Marry somebody that's going to carry on our same faith and our same values and and understandably. But Samson had a problem. Notice Samson's problem. His problem was the same problem a lot of us have. Samson wanted what he wanted, and he didn't care what anybody else had to say. Samson wanted what pleased Samson, and he really didn't care about what anybody else had to say, God included. And so Samson goes the way that he wants to go. And if you think about it, the story of Samson's a lot like a Disney movie, just the way it really works out in life, right? Like a Disney movie, it's like, oh, the princess, I'm going to go follow my heart, and it always turns out well. Well, I think Samson shows us that when you follow your heart, it doesn't turn out well, right? Like Jasmine, you probably aren't going to meet Prince Ali Ababla, right? Like, like that's, he's probably not that good of a guy, like in real life, right? Like I think Samson shows us that when we follow your own heart, it does not usually end well. And so Samson's like, Mom, Dad, I want to marry this woman. But notice something. There's a really weird verse in verse 4. Notice this. It says this. His father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So what we see is God's going to use Samson's choice. God wants to use Samson to stir up trouble with the Philistines, to help Israel see they need to break free from this captivity. And God's just going to use this choice that, that Samson makes here. So notice this. So Samson's going to go down. He's going to try to get this girl's number. And so he heads on down. And on the way, a lion jumps out at him. In verse 6, notice this. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, here's a question I have. Like, when they were just hanging out back in the day, did they just tear young goats? Like, you know? It was like, what did you guys do on the 4th last weekend? Well, we shot some fireworks, we played some bag, we tore some goats, right? Like, we just had a great time. Like, I, I, is tearing a goat easy? I, I don't know. I've never torn one before. But I guess for, for Samson, you know, it must have been easy. So he, but he doesn't tell his mother or his father. Remember, he's not supposed to touch anything dead. That was part of his Nazarite vow, right? And so, uh, really, really kind of really strange thing. But anyways, it sparks the idea for a riddle. So Samson now kills this lion, and um, then when when he's going back a little bit later on on the way, he actually sees that the the lion had honey growing in its its stomach, in the carcass, 
And so, uh, again, not supposed to touch anything dead, but he gets this idea for this riddle. So he, he goes down. He likes this girl. He gets his number. Mom and dad make the arrangement. They give the allotted dowry and all that stuff. And then they decide they're going to throw a bachelor party for him, right? So they throw this kegger. Remember, he's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to drink. But they throw this kegger, and he goes down. And then 30 Philistine dudes come and hang out at the kegger because, remember, he's married to Philistine. And he goes in, and he thinks he's really funny. So he goes in, and he tells everybody, hey, I've got, and remember, there's 30. He's like, I got a riddle for you, and if you can't solve it, I want 30 Tommy Bahama shirts, right? I want each of you to give me your linens, right? But if, if you can solve it, then I'll give you 30 Tommy Bahama shirts too. And so he gives them this riddle, verse 14, and he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. Now, we know what he's talking about, right? Lions and honey. So anyways, his bride-to-be, the Philistines come to his bride-to-be, and they say, hey, what is this riddle? Because they couldn't figure it out. And, and so she goes to Sam's and she's like, what's this riddle about? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? And then she starts pulling the oldest trick in the book. And ladies, you know this works every time. Tears. You just don't love me. If you loved me, you would tell me what the riddle means. And so Samson, his heart kind of goes out to his, 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 uh, his bride. And so he, he, he tells her. And then she goes and tells the Philistines. And so now they're back hanging out day three of the kegger or whatever it is. Because keggers lasted seven days back in those, those days. And, and in verse 18, notice what this. The men of the city said to him on the oh, seventh day of the kegger. It's the last day of the kegger. On the seventh day before the sun went down, they answered it. They says, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? So they get it. And then Samson, he has such a way with words. He's so good. He's so poetic. He says to them, well, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. (laughs) Guys, learn from Samson. That's not a word you should ever use when you're talking about your bride-to-be, right? (laughs) Yeah, Samson, you know, he just needed a little more. He wasn't very couth, right? So, so Samson, he, he, he was upset, right? And he knew he owed 30 Tommy Bahama shirts now, right? He owed these guys a shirt. So anyways, he's mad, and Samson does what only Samson can do. But, but I want you to notice, the Lord will use this to stir up trouble. So kind of keep, keep in mind, there's two things going on right now. Like God wants to use Samson to cause trouble, but at the same time, Samson's got his own issues, right? So when Samson goes and does something, God will still use Samson. But anyways, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 19, rushed upon Samson, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. So I'm, imagine he's mad they filled out the riddle, and he goes down, he kills 30 dudes, and he brings their bloody Tommy Bahama shirts back and throws them down at their feet, and he's like, here, here you go, have fun on laundry day. And then he goes home back to his mom and dad's house. Like, what a crazy story. Like, come on, Samson. Anyway, so we see that verse 15 turns over, and Samson goes to see his new wife. But when he gets there, the father says, hey, Samson, I, I didn't think you liked her, so I gave her to your buddy, your best man. I'm, I, but her sister's nice. Like, you want, you want to meet her sister? And so Samson gets mad again. He gets enraged that now his, his wife has been given to his best man. So what does he do? He goes and catches 300 foxes, which how do you do that anyways? Like, I'm telling you, this guy's talented. He's a great hunter. Uh, so he goes out and catches 300 foxes. He ties their tails together. He puts a torch in it, and he unleashes them on the grain fields. And so imagine 300 foxes scurrying through the grain fields. Everything catches on fire, and the Philistines get so mad they kill his wife and her dad. Just terrible, terrible situation. The one choice he made is now just created this really ugly cycle. And so now the people are really mad. They go and they raid his people. 
But it does say this. Notice verse 8. I don't know if you see this on it. It says that, that um, after he had sent the foxes into the fields, he went and struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And then he went down and stayed at a cave. And so hip and thigh is the way of saying he went stone cold Steve Austin on these guys, right? Like he just went and opened up a can on them. And so he, he whipped everybody, burned their fields down and left. And so the people are mad now. So they chase him to his parents' village and they raid the village. And then the people from the village now come out to Samson, and they're like, okay, Samson, I don't know what you did, but these people are trying to kill us, and they're just trying to steal all of our stuff. And Samson's like, okay, promise that you won't attack me, and you can take me out to the Philistines. And so they're like, fine, that sounds good. And again, they had gotten so comfortable, they'd care more about the Philistines than they do about their freedom. And so they bind Samson in these ropes, and it says that Samson goes out to the Philistines. This is crazy. Look, look at this. Samson goes out to the Philistines, and in verse 15, 15, 15, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it with it and struck down a thousand men. So he, he breaks the ropes. He kills a thousand dudes with a jawbone of a donkey. This guy is, there's something going on to him, uh, something going on. Remember, he's not supposed to touch anything that dies. And so then he, he touches this job on the donkey, and then he, he drops a rhyme. No, notice his rhyme. So he kills a thousand dudes, and then he raps about it. Look, verse 16. Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. Where's Pete? I need Pete up here. Pete, Pete could do that better. And then, notice what it says in verse 17. And when he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, like mic drop, right? Like he jawbone mic drops, and then he leaves. But notice something weird. Verse 20. Look what it says. It says this. And he judged in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Hold on a second. Like Samson just did something just ridiculously terrible. Yet God used Samson to judge the Philistines to try to wake up his people. And here's what's interesting. Samson isn't a good guy. Like if you grew up in Sunday school and you had a flannel graph board, you had a cool picture of Samson, right? Looking like the rock. Some great hair, you know? Like I'm very jealous of that hair. Like great hair. And you're like, oh, he's a hero of the faith. And we do see him mentioned in Hebrews 11, but that's for what happens later. Samson isn't a good guy. Like notice what Samson's doing. He is, he is doing a lot of really bad things. And I think it's a reminder that God will sometimes use people in odd situations to accomplish his purposes where his people are not ready to go. And Israel had drifted. And they were not ready to go. So God had to raise up Samson. But I also think there's a beautiful reality here is that, notice this, there is not one stray Adam in the whole universe that God cannot use for the completion of his purposes. That God is at work God is moving, and sometimes he has to use a guy like Samson to wake his people up and to see that God loves us too much to leave us in our sin. And I think God wants to use these Old Testament characters to teach us something about ourselves too. And Samson teaches us a lot about this. And so there's, one, there's three takeaways I want us to see. Here's, here's the one we can, we can take away first is this, that impulsiveness is bad. Right? <laughs> just, let's just make that simple. Impulsiveness is bad. Impulsiveness always takes you off course. You see that in the life of Samson here. He, he was commanded by his lust. He, he wanted this woman. He was commanded by his anger. He killed all these guys. Like impulsiveness will always take you off course. There, there was a, a study that came out a few years ago about texting and driving. And, and it talked about the fact that 98% of people know that texting and driving is dangerous. But we do it anyways. 
And it, and it found that when, when you text and drive, it takes your brain 27 seconds to just reorient itself from the stimulation of looking at your phone. And it takes you, I believe it was 400 feet longer to stop if you have to hit your brakes while you're on your phone. It also said that 23, you're 23 times more likely to get in a wreck when you text. But yet 98% of people who admit it's a problem to text and drive, we still do it. Why? Because we can't res- resist the impulse of responding. Like your phone goes off and you, you need to respond. It's, but we're yet we're going to risk our families in, in all these things. But I really need to know what Ron said about the game. I really need to know where I'm meeting him for lunch. Can't it wait, right? There, there was a, you guys might have heard about this. In 1972, Stanford University did what they call the marshmallow test. You guys heard about this? So they took 36, uh, 16 boys, 16 girls. They took 36 kids between the age of like four and a half and six and a half. And they put them in a room. And they put a marshmallow on the table, and they told them, you can either eat the marshmallow now, or if you wait, you'll get a better prize later. And well, here's what they found. They, 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 they found that some kids just walked over right immediately and just popped in their mouth, that others had to find different ways to cope. So they would, like, smell the marshmallow. They would throw it off the wall. Sometimes they'd lick the table around the marshmallow. But then they, 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 they took that data, and they, st- they watched these kids for four decades. You know what they found? is that greater than IQ, greater than wealth, greater than social status and and the home you grew up in, your ability to say no and your ability to not be impulsive will dictate the outcome of your life more than any other factor. So impulsiveness or or being able to say no and have self-discipline has a major, plays a major impact on your life. It reminds me of what Solomon says. In, in Proverbs 25, verse 28, Solomon says that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And the enemy wants to break into your city. And if you don't have any walls down, he's going to break in and take everything away. So we see in Samson's life, like, the, the danger of an impulsiveness. And, and when your criteria for life is to do what pleases you, like Samson's was, it's going to take you off course every single time. So I want you to ask yourself the question, when you make your decisions, what are you going to do for work, where are you going to move, who are you going to marry, how are you going to spend your money, when you make those decisions, who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please God? Are you taking into consideration what God would want for you, what God says is best for you, or are you trying to please yourself? So, so notice, Samson was just battling impulsiveness, but that wasn't it. Look here, verse 1 of chapter 16, notice this too. Samson went to Gaza. Gaza was the, the home of the, the Philistines. It was the capital of uh, the Philistine region in Canaan. And he went to, to Gaza, and there was a prostitute, and he went in with her. Like, really, Samson? Like, you're, judge, you're a judge. God raised you up. God's given you special power. God's put a call in your life. You're a Nazarite. What are you doing? Samson's just getting more brazen over and over again. Now, look at verse 3. It says that, that the, the, the Philistines heard about it. And uh, so Samson lay till midnight. At midnight, he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gate. So this shows you how strong Samson is. The, the, the people surrounded the, te- the, the place he was in. And so Samson goes and grabs the doors of the city gate, puts them on his shoulder, and then he runs a half mile to the top of the hill. Now, what's the lesson to take away from this? Nothing. It's just awesome, right? Like, Samson's just so strong. He can just t- carry doors. And that's not part of my workout routine, but I think it's Kevin's. But, you know, it's just really, you know, running with a door on your back. That's, that's good exercise right there. So I want you to see something. Notice, if you watch, follow Samson's story, he's been touching dead things he wasn't supposed to. He's been going to keg parties he wasn't supposed to drink, right? And now he's 
going in and meeting line with prostitutes, which is, would be outside of anything God would want for him. It's not just impulsiveness. He had compromised his character. Notice the second thing here. Compromise sets you up for failure. Samson had compromised the person God had called him to be. I mean, God went to his parents and said, I'm going to use your son to do something special. He kept getting more brazen and more brazen, and now he is compromised who God has called him to be. And I think this is a, this is a threat we, gotta, we guys we face. Like God calls us to be distinct, but we live in a culture that's calling us to compromise it all the time. And so I want you to ask yourself, ask yourself the question, like, when you have to make a decision, what, what's your process? Because sometimes I think when we compromise, we end up saying this. Well, what's the big deal, right? God, I know you say this is the right way for me to live, but really, what's the big deal? Like, who's it going to hurt? Nobody's going to find out. It's not that big of a deal. God, you've, you've forgiven me of my sin anyways, and he has. But we're treading on God's grace when we say that. Like, when, when we end up saying, well, who, who's it going to hurt? What? Why do I need to listen to you? Why do I need to honor you with my money or my sexuality or, or my relationships? Here's the question I want to ask. What if, the concept, what, what if the harm of compromising your faith, what if the harm is not the outcome or the consequence? But what if the harm of making that decision is driving out the presence of God in your life? Like, seriously, think about that. Like, sometimes we say, hey, I have this opportunity to, to do this thing. What's it going to harm, God, if I cut a corner? God, what's it going to harm if I do something I shouldn't do? What if it's not the consequence that's the issue? What if it's removing the presence of God from your life that's the consequence you really need to be aware of? Like, what if that is really, when you say, what, what if nobody notices? You know who notices? God does. God, and, and we're not trying to be legalistic here and say we got to walk on stones or eggshells, but I think God just wants us to be faithful and to do our best to honor him with our decisions and, and our choices. And so I, I think the book of Judges is showing us that when you compromise God's blessing, you have a real, you're really at risk of offending God. And when God pulls his presence back from you, you fall into captivity like Israel did. And like we're going to see happen here with Samson. So, so just kind of keep, keep, keep that in mind. He's fighting impulsiveness. He's fighting compromise. How do those play into our lives too? Notice verse 4, 16 verse 4. Notice what happens next. So he fell in love with a woman, and he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So he falls in love with Delilah. Now here's what's interesting about Samson at this point. So he falls in love with Delilah. Samson doesn't know Delilah is working with the Philistines. And so we see that the Philistines come to her and they're like, hey, seduce him and find out where his strength come from, comes from and we'll give you a thousand pieces of silver. So I mean, it's a pretty good deal, right? I think Judas got 30. Like she's going to get a thousand, right? And so Delilah says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you may be bound that anyone could subdue you. Now I, I got to ask Samson, Guys, this is a note for us guys. Guys, sometimes we're just stupid, aren't we? Like, like she's like, tell me where your strength lies. He's like, okay. Yeah, he has this little game, right? Notice this little game. He first tells her that, well, you got to bind me with fresh bowstrings, right? And then I won't have any strength. So she does it. It doesn't work. The Philistines come. He ends up beating them all up. Next night, she's like, well, tell me where your strength comes from. And she starts to get a little more emotional. And he's like, well, um, you need fresh ropes. It's fresh ropes to do it. And then so he breaks out of the fresh ropes and he beats the guys up again. And so the third night, 
Again, she's going with the whole, like, you don't love me, right? Tell me what this, what, what, what it is. He said, well, you have to weave my hair together, right? I need, like, a man bun. Give me a man bun. That'll take my strength out. Philistines come. What does he do? He kicks their tails again, right? So finally, it's the last night, and she's pressing him hard. She's tearful. Mascara's running. She's telling him, you don't love me. And notice what he says. She pressed him hard. And here's what he says, verse 17. And he told her all his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Guys, Samson's just stupid, right? Like, why would he tell her? He told her. And notice what happened. So she saw that he told him the truth. She snuck away to the Philistines. She told him what happened. They gave her the money. And then that night, verse 19, it says this, that she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks. He must have been tired if another guy came in to shave his head, right? But so he's asleep on her knees, and she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And notice what's up here. Samson is so overconfident. He tells her that it's his hair because he is so overconfident. He believes that God's strength's never going to leave him. Like, he is so confident that even if his hair is gone, it's, it's not going to be a problem. And so um, notice this. It, it says this in verse, verse 20. It says, she says to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. See? He had compromised. He had, he had thought that he had the ability to do whatever he wanted to do and forgot that it was God that gave it to him. And so God's spirit left him, and he gets captured. The Philistines seized him, verse 21, and they gouged out his eyes. And they brought him to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze shackles. And, around, and, and he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, Samson gives us a picture of sin. Notice this, that sin always starts, and it's fun. Sin's always exciting at first, but at the end of the day, Sin leads us into captivity every single time and leads us blind and captive. So Samson struggled with impulsiveness. Samson struggled with compromise. But notice this third. Samson struggled with pride. Pride causes you to look past God. Pride causes you to look past God. And that's what happened to Samson. He, he thought that nothing could hurt him. And he realized that God's presence had left him because he had looked past God. So I want you to ask yourself, like when you go through life, like, do you go through life thinking that you're always going to have the abilities that you have, that you're always going to have uh, the passion that you have, that you're always going to have the strength that you have? Do you take into consideration that God wants to move in you and through you and use you? So you're taking God's presence for granted. Are you looking past God? Notice how Samson's story ends. We'll end this really quickly here. Verse 23. And the lords of the Philistines gathered. They wanted to throw a big party. And they gathered together to worship their god Dagon. And they're cheering that they captured Samson. So they say, bring Samson in. So when their hearts were merry, verse 25, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So Samson came out of the prison and he entertained them. I don't know if he was juggling or singing songs or dancing with a hat on, but he was doing something to entertain them. And they made him stand behind these pillars. And if you know Samson's story, this is where it gets really interesting. Verse 26, Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars of the house. So he's blind. He can't see. He's doing his dance. He's riding a tricycle with a little spinning plate on his head. And he decides that he wants to actually get a little bit of rest. So he leans against the pillar. And notice what he does. Verse 28, 
And Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. It's about 3,000 people. So Samson brings down the house on his enemies. Now imagine you are a young Israelite kid who loves the Avengers movies and is really into Spider-Man and you want to read the story of your own superhero named Samson and you get to the end of the story and this is how it ends. You got to think, what? That's how it ends? Like how disappointing. How many of you felt that way after Avengers Infinity Wars? You know, like we all were. Like, what? Everybody dies? If you haven't seen the movie, it's too late. You guys, it's like four years old. You guys should have seen it already. You know, it's like spending seven of your years watching Lost, seven seasons watching the show Lost, and then getting to the end and going, you mean they were dead the whole time? What a bummer. Like, seriously? Like, that just ruined it. You can't go back and watch it now. They're dead. Don't watch it. They're dead. See, guys, they're dead. So what do we need to learn from Samson? What do we need to learn from the story of Samson? I think there's a lot that we can take away. But, but I think we see at the end of Samson's life, we see that, that, that the way Samson's story ends reminds us of the reality that God gives all of us, that God gives us all another chance, that God gives us all another opportunity. That God wants to, to even, we, we have all this mess behind us and, and all this ugly cycle. How do we break out of the cycle? It's by turning to God because God gives us another chance. And this is the beautiful part of the gospel. This is the beautiful part of the story of God is that Jesus came here for us to give us another chance. That Jesus stepped out of heaven and stepped into this earth to live the life we couldn't live and to give his life on the cross, a death that we deserve for us because he loved us. And when he rose from the grave, he created a way for us to have life. And, and that means that when we fall into sin, that when we fall into these seasons, when we make mistakes, when we say stupid stuff, when we hurt people, we hurt ourselves, it's one act of faith, we're one act of faith, act of faith away from breaking the cycle and letting God move in us and through us to use us, to change the world around us. So as we think about the story of, of Samson, we think about the story of, of Judges, I, I think we can learn a lot about how do we avoid the ugly cycle? How do we break the ugly cycle? So I've got three quick takeaways if you're taking notes. I'm just going to hammer them through them really quick. Three quick takeaways. How do you break the ugly cycle? And the first one is this. Recognize the drift. Samson had drifted into impulsiveness and compromise and pride. If we can recognize those in our own lives and see where we're starting to veer off course, then we can, we can correct and so we have to recognize where we're starting to drift. Ask yourself, where in your life are, are, you, are you getting angry? Where in your life are you impulsive right now? Where in your life are you compromising the plan God has given you? And you're, you're starting to do things that you know you shouldn't do. You're starting to rub elbows in some areas you know you shouldn't elbow. Where, where, where are some areas where pride is causing you to break down relationships and look past God? We've got to recognize the drift. And when we recognize the drift, the second step is this, that we need to repent and we need to confess like, God tells us over and over again in, in his word that he's faithful to forgive us and that he wants us to turn and to follow him. And so when we recognize we're drifting, we just need to come to God and say, and just be honest, God, I've allowed my eyes to be stolen away. I've allowed my heart and my affection to be pulled away by something else. 
Like, God, I'm sorry about that. Like, give me the strength to turn the other direction. Give me the, and God will every single time. First John 1 John 1.9 says that God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is going to forgive us and to move us in the right direction if we return to him. And then third, after we've recognized the drift and we've repented and confessed, third, we need to remind ourselves not to forget. Samson forgot. Israel forgot. We forget. And this is why God gives us built-in measures to, not, to remind ourselves not to forget. Being in the word, spending time quiet with God to pray. Being in Christian community in a life group or serving together. When you have people reminding each other of why we do this, it's because God loves us so much he sent his son for us and invites us into the kingdom of God. And the beautiful thing is when we do these things, we can break the cycle. We can begin to, to step out and, and to get out of these ugly cycles we're in and live the life God created us to live. So as I invite the worship team back on stage, I, I want to challenge you guys this week. Pay attention. Where are you drifting? Where are you getting impulsive? Where are you starting to compromise? Where is the problem? And when you see it, focus your eyes and your hearts to the Lord. Repent of that. And then remind yourself each and every day that God sets you on a path to new life. It's a responsibility of all of us.